Welcome to the second installment of our weekly El Monitor webinar series on the Israel-Hamas war and its impact on the region. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor. President Biden was in Israel yesterday. He was showing ironclad U.S. support for Israel while also cautioning on the potential conduct of a ground war, which is likely to increase the growing casualty figures for both Israeli military and Palestinian civilians, in addition to the risks for more than 200 Israeli, U.S., and international hostages in Gaza. Egyptian President Abdul Fattah el-Sisi, with whom Biden spoke with by phone, has agreed to open the Rafah boarding crossing to allow up to 20 trucks of humanitarian assistance into Gaza. The Israeli Prime Minister's office has also said that Israel would allow humanitarian deliveries into Rafah, provided the aid didn't end up in Hamas's hands. Biden, during his trip, also announced $100 million in U.S. humanitarian aid to Gaza and the West Bank. Biden claimed the trip a success, although a planned summit in Jordan between the U.S., Jordanian, Egyptian, and Palestinian leaders was canceled, a sign of the impact of the frustration and anger by populations throughout the region and the pressure on friendly partners in the region to the United States against the U.S. alignment with Israel in the conflict. The death toll from the Israel-Hamas war now includes close to 4,000 Palestinians, well over half of them women and children, and 1,400 Israelis killed. As Israel and Palestinians continue to ch exchange air bombardment and the collective siege of Gaza, which has already cut or limited water, electricity, and gas to the enclave, forcing the displacement of close to a million people. Israel, the U.S. government, and the independent experts have said that it was a Palestinian, not Israeli rocket, which hit the El Ahli hospital in Gaza this week, killing 471 people. His protests escalated across the region where Israel was blamed for the incident. Meanwhile, a ground invasion looms and concerns remain about the expansion of the violence into a regional conflict. To discuss the latest in the Israel-Hamas war and President Biden's visit to Israel, we are joined by El Arabiya Washington Bureau Chief Nadia Bilbasi Charters and El Monitor Israel columnist Ben Kaspit, who joins us from Tel Aviv. For our viewers, please submit your questions via the Q&A function on Zoom. Welcome, Nadia and Ben. It's great to have you both with us. And let's start with you, Nadia. U.S. President Joe Biden has claimed his visit a success, securing agreement with Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Sisi for a humanitarian corridor into Gaza, and both showing U.S. solidarity with Israel while counseling restraint in the conduct of the war. How has this visit been received among Arab capitals and by Arab populations because even a close partner such as King Abdullah canceled a meeting with the U.S. president. That's quite a sign. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for having me, um, Andrew. Uh, the White House says it was successful because the president achieved uh, the three, uh, if you want, uh, targets that was on his list, as, as you mentioned them. Number one is you want to show solidarity with the state of Israel. This president identify himself 
uh, emotionally with Israel. His relationship goes back to the time of uh, Prime Minister Golda Meir, and he loves to quote her all the time to say that she tells me that the uh, Israelis or the Jews in particular have nowhere to go, and this is why they're going to stay and fight. Um, and this is why he's uh, always been a solid supporter of Israel, and he is often saying about himself that you don't have to be Jewish to be a Zionist, and if Israel does not exist, then we need to create it. So we start from this because his record speaks for itself. So the president felt that in addition that from day one, he's been solidly with Israel and they said he said that we militarily will give Israelis whatever they need. He decided to go there. He showed uh, his solidarity with the Israelis shoulder to shoulder and he actually hugged the prime minister uh, when he landed at Tel Aviv. He also said that he wanted to see what Israel needs on the ground militarily. So he authorized the Pentagon and the CENCOM to do whatever is needed to help the Israelis in this fight. And third, he said he wants to secure some kind of humanitarian corridor uh, to bring aid from Egypt to Palestinians trapped on the Rafah crossing. This is uh, how the White House sees it. But because of what happened at Ahli Hospital, uh, the summit was canceled. Actually, Al-Arabiya broke the story that the king decided uh, to cancel this, and uh, same for President Sisi. And therefore, the picture in the Arab world came as a president of the United States standing with Israel, who has been responsible for the death of, as you said, 4,000 civilians. And that's not because of the Ahli Hospital. The Ahli Hospital or the Mamadani Hospital Maybe it was a catalyst for what we've seen in terms of more demonstrations in the streets of Arab capitals, but the president looks isolated. And I think this picture will play later on, whether it's domestically here among Arab Americans who are considered a core supporter for him in swing states like Michigan, for example, or among the, uh, the bigger picture, which is the Arab street that they have seen in the United States aiding a military power that's killing civilians. So it doesn't look good for President Biden. Ben, uh, I want to get your take on the visit of President Biden to Israel. Uh, this time it strikes, it struck many as highly unusual incurring a high degree of, of, of risk. You wrote for our monitor this week that uh, the visits, in, including the shuttle diplomacy, intense shuttle diplomacy by Sec Secretaries Blinken and Austin, are in part because, and I'm quoting you, the Americans remain deeply worried by Netanyahu's continued position at the helm, fearing that his political, legal, and personal problems could make him unfit to conduct the war without being swayed by narrow considerations. After Biden's visit, do you still stand by that assessment? And what else can you tell us about the meetings? Yes, of course. Uh, I think the most the biggest quantity of joy uh, when uh, Benny Gantz and Gadi Eisenkot and Gideon Saar joined this uh, war cabinet was in Washington. The, it's not a secret that the American administration, especially President Biden, are, are not counting on uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, his ability to control the event, to manage it uh, carefully. We are in a sub, so complicated situation, this event can uh, burst any time now to, to a war. 
I'm not talking about Hamas Israel war, and even not about the the multi front war that we are talking with Hezbollah and maybe others. I'm I'm talking about a regional war, and from a regional regional war to to go to the to a world war, it's not such a, a long distance. So they all came here. They were very very satisfied when the guns two two previous uh, chief of staffs of uh, the IDF and, and uh, Isaac of the guns came in and they want to see Netanyahu uh, close, to look, uh, we say in Hebrew, in the white of his eyes and to show him the limits. Uh, I'm not fully uh, agreeing to what uh, Nadia said about uh, Joe Biden being such a Zionist. He loves Israel. He, he grew up with the Holocaust survivors, but in his speech in Israel yesterday, after he, he, he told us that we will never walk alone, he said that he is fully committed to the two-state solution. This is not a solution that the Netanyahu government is committed to, but the President Biden said it. And he also emphasized that you don't have to, to, uh, to conquer the Gaza Strip again. By the way, Israel doesn't want to do it, but in order to get rid of Hamas, it has to come in. And also he's always, all the time saying, you have to, to act like a democracy. There is an international war. There are very special uh, w uh, uh, statutes of war. Uh, we have many experts in Israel and Supreme Court. And whatever the IDF is doing is with close scrutiny of, uh, of experts of, uh, of the, war, the, the statute of war. In, in every uh, department of the IDF, you have these experts and they approve or disapprove any action. So the visit was very important for the Israeli morale. The, the Israelis finally found Joe Biden and fall in, fell in love with him. Uh, but it also had some lower points. And the lower points are that when the Americans are your partners, you have to listen to them and you cannot to just do everything like you uh, uh, like you plan to do, and the other thing is more strategic. Israel was not never suspected as a weak country. Uh, all the strength and the deterrence of Israel was because everybody in the Middle East knew it is the strongest uh, state. Uh, you say it is also nuclear and the air force and the Mossad and the IDF and the 70 or 80 billion shekels a year uh, defense budget, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly it needs the big brother to send here two carriers and one president and uh, secretaries from all over. So this, I think it's a major blow to the Israeli deterrence in the Middle East. And it is one of the reasons that Israel cannot afford itself uh, just let it go, bombard Gaza and go home. Israel cannot, will, will not be able to survive with coexistence with Hamas. This is crystal clear to any Israelis. One sentence about the hospital. We are in an era of uh, discussion about the truth, but I, I think I belong to the other generation. There is only one truth. Israel will never uh, shoot a missile or a, bomb, or a bomb to a hospital. All the hospitals in Gaza are marked in red. The IDF or the Air Force is not going near it. And thank God we live in an, in a, in an era of uh, digital cameras everywhere. We showed the whole world, everything is on camera. We aired the conversation between, between Hamas 
activists about this uh, Islamic Jihad rocket that failed, the launch was failed, you can see it. So there is not, you know, this side and the other side. There is only one side and one, one truth, and it happened many times in the past. If you go uh, Google it, you'll see failed rockets from Jihad or Hamas hitting Palestinian uh, territory and killing many people. Many times in, in the past, we will never do it intentionally. Nadia, let's pick up on that regarding uh, right. the hospital. It's something you know well. Uh, you grew up in Gaza. You covered Gaza for AFP uh, during the first intifada. Uh, what Ben pointed out, U.S., Israel, U.S. sources, Israeli sources, and independent experts are now saying that the explosion at the hospital was caused by an errant rocket by Islamic Jihad, not an Israeli airstrike. Does this assessment, let me put it this way, matter given how the public relations issue has already played out regarding what's happened? I don't think it does matter now because the events are moving very, very fast. And every day, every hour, in fact, there is something new. Um, but from the Arab perspective, um, they see Israel has a track record. Israel, for example, the killing of uh, Al Jazeera journalist Shirin Abu Akhla, in the beginning, they said, I'm not saying I'm quoting the two incidents, but I'm saying I want to set the background for you. They said that it, she was, she was uh, killed by a uh, Palestinian gunman. And then when they discovered it wasn't, they said, well, it was uh, some kind of uh, crossfire she was caught. And then finally, although she's an American citizen, the Israelis never allowed an independent uh, international committee to find out what happened to her. So from the Arab and the Palestinian perspective, they never trust Israelis to investigate themselves. And they have many incidents of that in the past. Now, whether this rocket came from Islamic Jihad or others, who knows? I'm not a military uh, analyst, so I can't really tell. And I'm in Washington, so I don't know what people say in the ground. But I can tell you a few facts. Number one, uh, on American networks, they keep saying with uh, ex-generals that they were saying that the number of, of Palestinians who died is not even 500, that they would be exaggerating the number. But the fact that uh, this hospital has been used as a refuge, many Palestinians since the starting of the attack, they've been told to move from the north to the south. So there were thousands on the ground, there's doctors who are there, and they can be an, an eyewitness to that. Um, so it, the, the, the second thing about what the Israelis said uh, that also has been in doubt in the Arab media and the Arab public is the recording. Let alone where the rocket comes from, whether it was uh, a failed rocket, whether it was something else Israel used. But if you notice, the Israelis immediately came up with a recording and they said this is a chatter that intercepted between Hamas and Islamic Jihad. American networks have been running it. They said we cannot verify it. I don't know if Ben speaks Arabic, but for many Arab speakers, the conversation doesn't sound right or authentic. Um, the accent is off completely, and the scenario doesn't sound plausible at all. Now, this hospital I know um, quite well, and uh, it is sad to see it being um, hit, sad to see civilian casualties everywhere, of course. Um, but it was uh, uh, next to a church that uh, Christian uh, Gazans used to go to. And during uh, my first job as a young reporter um, in Gaza, I used to go to this hospital to report on American doctor who was treating young Palestinians who 
at the time, they were called the Intifada of the Stones because the Palestinians did not use arms, so they were using stones against the army. They were shot with uh, rubber bullets and live ammunition, and I used to do to go and cover um, the work of American doctors in Al Madani or on the Ahli Hospital. Uh, one uh, point I wanted to say about the two-state solution as well that Ben alluded to. Uh, this administration um, uh, principle position is there for two-state solution. But what did they do in the last two years to to, uh, to even start uh, a baby steps towards a two-state solution? Absolutely nothing. I think the administration was uh, ignoring it because it was don't, they don't want to invest political capital. Uh, it's a big headache. They cannot deal with it because Number one, you have Hamas in Gaza. There's a division between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Netanyahu himself and this government, which is the most right-wing in the history of the state of Israel, publicly do not uh, endorse the two-state solution. Netanyahu himself does not endorse the two-state solution. So it was like an unstarter for them. So they, he can say as much as they can that we endorse it in principle. But if you don't do anything to avoid to what we reach today because not just him but also previous administration because american foreign policy has always been short-sighted they don't see it that far and they don't see it to where we are now while many people in the region actually they say that you can normalize with arab states which is great great for everybody in the region but you cannot ignore the heart of the matter which is the israeli palestinian question i have to comment on it uh, uh, and uh, cannot leave it like this First of all, I want to remind Nadia that Israel uh, retreated and get, got out from Gaza until the last inch as a pilot to peace in 2005. The only thing the Gazans had to do is nothing. Israel said, we will collect money, billions or tens of billions of dollars from Europe to make it Singapore. The retaliation was Hamas taking power and creating Gaza the second Hezbollah, a base of rockets that were shot at our children for 15, 17, 18 years because we went out as a pilot to peace. Second fact, and I'm only with facts, not with imagination. Second fact is that Israel said yes to all the peace initiatives in history. It began with the late, the late President, I'm sorry, the late Prime Minister Rabin, in Camp David, Ehud Barak said yes to the Clinton parameters and Arafat said no. Then we had Abu Mazen, we had Kerry, we had uh, even Benjamin Netanyahu in the London and in with, with the Secretary Kerry in 2014 said yes to the American paper and they're still waiting for the, the answer of uh, Abu Mazen. So don't preach me about the Palestinian state. The, 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 the moment you will want a Palestinian state from my point of view, just declare it, like David Ben-Gurion said. He did not wait to enlarge the, 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 the geography because the, 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 the decision in the UN was ridiculous. He just said, yes, we have a state, let's start. About this rocket, you said let alone. It's not let alone. Shirin Abu Akleh is not connected to here. Shirin Abu Akleh was a journalist. Unfortunately, tens, maybe hundreds of journalists are getting hit in crossfire every year. The IDF wanted to retrieve the bullets in order to, to, uh, to check it. The Palestinians did, did not uh, brought us the bullet. Finally, we accept the responsibility, but until now, we, we don't really know. We don't have a culture of lying in Israel yet. 
the, the spokesman of the IDF, it took him three hours to say this was not our rocket. And the audio you are talking about was only the next morning. It's a lie. We did not uh, have it on the, on the last hour or so. It's just a lie. We, we heard it only the next morning after Shabak recorded it. By the way, there was a very big argument to let it out or not. But we are not the kind of, kind of people that will air force. This is the, the reason that it took the IDF spokesman, a general, three hours to announce formally this is not an Israeli job. If, you, if it was the IDF, it was making a huge crater. There is no crater. We see it on video. You don't have to be an expert, Nadia. Just look at it. You have the explanation. You have everything on camera. The, the Al Jazeera camera, the, the Channel 12 camera, everything. Now we have satellites. We have drones. Everything is on camera. Don't forget it. Before we are lying, we have to, to remember everything is on camera. We do a lot of harm in Gaza right now. We don't have any, 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 any alternative. No state will survive this kind of attack without retaliating and just eliminate the threat. We cannot live uh, beside savages that cut in half a pregnant woman and take out its fetus. And it's also on camera. Thank you. I, I'm not here. I'm just telling you the perception. I'm just saying the perception in the Arab world and in general among the Palestinians that they do not trust the Israelis when they come with it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. I'm just telling you what the perception is. And uh, people have been warned many times of not targeting hospitals. Sorry, I mean, just now the Hanunis hospital uh, was hit. Uh, the UN, go, go to the UN, go to the uh, aid organizations. There are many hospitals that have been hit. The Israelis always say that Hamas use it as a, uh, a civilian, uh, they use civilians as a human uh, shield, etc. But the hospital has been hit. As we were speaking, it's on our reporter in Gaza, on Arabia, said that there is people, the uh, hospital was hit. And there is doctors who are eyewitnesses on the ground. Actually, the Ahli Hospital was warned to evacuate. The Israelis have been telling people to leave the hospitals because they wanted to move them from where they are. People using hospitals as a refuge. They're using them as a shelter. And this is why there were thousands of people who go to under schools and they go to the hospitals because the hospitals and the schools in the old world, not now, they have at least some facilities. They have some water. They have... Uh, bathrooms, they have some food, uh, but not, even now the situation is no longer there. So, but I'm not going to debate history. That's not my job. And I'm, I'm still a reporter. I'm just telling you the perception and how I see things and how we report things. But I'm not here to debate what happened to the peace process. I'm just telling you that, and this is a fact, that the administration did not do anything to realize uh, to, to, to move forward with the two-state solution. I'm not saying that uh, what happened in the past, whose fault it is, uh, you know, what the previous administration did. But I'm just saying, basically, that many, even during the Obama administration tried, and they, in the end, they didn't, they gave up. The, the Trump administration came and decided that, okay, we solved it. There were issues that left for the final status issue, which is Jerusalem, the settlements, the border, the refugees, and uh, President Trump decided that, okay, I solve Jerusalem by giving it to the Israelis and declare it the capital of Israel. This president, uh, a Democrat who came, he did not change that position. 
So he stays with that position. But what I'm saying that nobody wanted to spend political capital. This was the bigger picture, which is if they normalize relations with the Arab states, maybe things will be solved. And what we have seen, the events on the ground, it, broke, it brought us back to zero, to the, to the starter point. And as you said, everybody fear a bigger war now. It's not just limited to what we have in, what's seeing now. It could be bigger. And the region is, as you said, we're witnessing something we have not seen in our lifetime, to be honest. When, when the atrocities on all sides. Well, uh, both, I appreciate your exchanges on this. Very helpful for our audience. We have a number of questions we want to get to. So let me pick it up there again. For those of you who uh, have submitted questions, uh, stand by. For those of you who uh, still want to submit, please do so per the uh, Q&A function on Zoom. Then uh, there's a question here. Why do you think the Israeli ground invasion has been delayed in, until now? Is it still a priority? And what's your expectation on the timing and scope of that invasion when it happens? Uh, this is the most most crucial uh, question, uh, of course, and uh, all the Israeli military uh, chiefs and the uh, decision makers are on it. It is de delayed because uh, we need, in order to to hurt as as less possible uh, innocent civilians, we are uh, trying to uh, have the pressure from the air and evacuate the northern part of uh, the Gaza Strip in order that the IDF will not be uh, forced to fight among heavy heavily populated areas. This is one. Second, we are trying to get as many information as possible because we are not innocent. Uh, no, I'm sorry, we're not naive. We know that Hamas prepared a lot of traps uh, in Gaza City and especially in the metro, in the underground Gaza City. And uh, they are just polishing now the plan uh, the IDF had many, many very sophisticated plans uh, of the invasion of Gaza. Something we, we didn't, we, we never did. It was partially a partial, a partial invasion at uh, 2008, 2009, uh, uh, but it was very partial. So right now we have to do it. We want to hurt. Uh, we don't want to hurt a lot of civilians. So we have to evacuate the, as, as much population as possible. And uh, but there is no other way doing this job uh, without boots on the ground. With all due respect to the the abilities, uh, the known and proven abilities of the Israeli Air Force, you just have to get there, kill them. I'm talking about all the chiefs of this this barbaric Nazi attack, and take care of Hamas and 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 because. We, if we, we want people to go back to their homes, right now it is devastating. All the villages are burned. We have a kibbutz that 20, 30% of its members were either killed, I'm not, it's not killed, it's slaughtered, or, or kidnapped or injured. So in order to, to rebuild the trust between the state and the citizens, we have to kill Hamas, I don't, I don't have any other words. And this is, this cannot happen, uh, Andrew, without 
a ground invasion. I don't see the IDF coming to Gaza and conquering the whole, the, the whole place. I think it will be a lot more sophisticated, but also not very quick. I, I, I've spoken with many sources in the IDF today. They're talking about weeks or months. Uh, weeks, it's four, five, six weeks, or two, three, four, five months in order to, including siege. And this is the reason that, that we, we are calling now even for hospitals to be evacuated. By the way, Nadia, if we would hit hospitals intentionally, all the military leadership of Hamas would not hide right now and all the other previous times under the Shifa hospital. Nadia, we've got a question for you here. What do you see is the behind the scenes consultation between US officials and Arab capitals regarding what's happening in Israel and the impending uh, ground invasion. Obviously the public stance has shifted to strong support for the Palestinians, even among those countries who have uh, who are members of the Abraham Accords, Bahrain, uh, the UAE called the on the Security Council called the Security Council meeting uh, with, with Russia. This puts and there's always a great deal of pressure on on Jordan. What is being said behind the scenes? What are the Gulf expectations regarding what's going to happen in the U.S. role? I mean, there is a short term and a long term or medium term objective. Um, Let's remember that on his way back to Washington, President Biden called both President Sisi uh, and um, uh, I think the King of Jordan. And he basically wanted to make sure that humanitarian aid comes to Gaza immediately. And my information that it probably will start uh, happening tomorrow, 20 tons um, and trucks are going to go through. But that's just like a drop in the ocean. That's not going to do much. Um, also, they wanted to get American Palestinians who are trapped in Gaza to be able to go out. There is 500 to 700. That's what the immediate need is just to make sure actually that there is some kind of um, help is on, on its way. But uh, just now, actually, uh, Sameh Shukri, the Egyptian foreign minister, told Arabia that he wants a ceasefire. He's been calling for a ceasefire. I think that's not going to happen because we know that the United States has told Israel that it, it has it will support it to do whatever it needs. And Israel declared uh, objective is to destroy Hamas. And in addition to what Ben just said, this operation might take even longer than that. I mean, uh, there were some reports that the Israeli defense minister told the Americans that it might take years to destroy Hamas or to dismantle Hamas completely. So the question for the Arab states, let's separate uh, uh, the Arab states, actually, there is the, the, the what they call uh, the neighboring countries or the frontier countries, which is Jordan and Egypt. Jordan and Egypt has been um, instrumental in making sure that if the Palestinians, we're talking about two and a half million uh, Gazans, if they are forced, as we have seen in a forced repatriation, they're not refugees, they've been told to leave their homes, otherwise they're going to get killed. And the Israelis have been dropping leaflets from the air to say, move from this place. But to, the question we ask is to where? So it's not like there's an alternative. So they keep telling them, move on this safe route. And the safe route was also bombed. 70 civilians were killed. Let's assume they go to the south. 
So if they are there in the south and the Israeli move in a, in a land invasion, then if we were talking about six weeks or two months or five months or a year even, these people eventually have to move somewhere else. And the worry from Egypt and from Jordan is they will be uh, complicit in what the Arab media and uh, Arab public believe an Israeli plan for a long time through successive administration and government is to liquidate the Palestinian issue by creating another Nakba, i.e. forcing Palestinians to leave their home. So when they leave Gaza, they will never come back. And somehow they will say, well, they cannot come back because Gaza is completely destroyed. There is no way that these people can live because there's no water, no electricity, there's no homes, there's nothing for them to go back to. So let's temporarily keep them there. And the word temporary is still in Palestinian mind and Arab minds is still very vivid because they still live in temporary 75 years later in refugee camps in Lebanon and in Syria and in Jordan. So I think the Arab states, Jordan and Egypt, want to make sure there's some kind of international guarantee that Palestinians are not going to be expelled from their homeland, especially with what we hear from Netanyahu government, who has like people like Ben Gavir, who already showed um, sentiments uh, that completely uh, resemble like uh, calls that we heard before with expelling Arabs, and he doesn't believe that Arabs are equal to Jews when he said the roads in the West Bank should be used by Israelis, Jews, not by, by Arabs. But regardless, that's one position of Jordan and, and Egypt. If we talk about the bigger picture of the Arab other countries in the Gulf states, um, as you said, you see the statements coming very strongly. Saudi Arabia called for a ceasefire, the uh, Israelis are urging to avoid civilian casualties, etc. It's not a secret that nobody um, likes Hamas. Hamas is... Um, an extension of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is uh, disliked and feared in many Arab states, uh, including in the Gulf, because they think they have an ultimate uh, bigger um, objective of uh, basically toppling the government and taking over. And this is what happened in Egypt. And they also believe that when the Muslim Brotherhood, in a, through the political wings, whether it's Hamas in Gaza at the time, when they come to power via election, they will never leave. Because actually Gaza never had an election since 2006 when Hamas won. The Palestinian Authority can take blame for many things. But also Gaza was a bigger jail. When Sharon decided to leave Gaza in 2005, there was a, a, an opportunity for Gaza to develop. And I agree with you. And I was hoping that this is going to happen. But also don't forget, the Israelis controlled everything. So they controlled the land, they controlled the sea, they controlled the exit and entrance to Gaza. So it wasn't like an easy, like this is a piece of land in the middle of nowhere and you just need to make it Hong Kong or Singapore. Also, there's regional actors in the, in the in next door and Iran managed to uh, use the vacuum. When Sharon left as well, there was not because he was in love with the Palestinians, he wanted to give them back their land and to withdraw. It was also some people say it has to be just like now, what's the end game for the Israelis? You cannot leave a vacuum because somebody will, will fill that vacuum. And it was no leadership at the time because the PLO were exiled. The, the Palestine Liberation Organization, which exists, acknowledged Israel's right to exist in 1988. Okay, Hamas is a different organization, etc. So there's no love, I mean, for Hamas, but at the same time, people now don't see Hamas 
uh, and they acknowledged the atrocities that was committed. Nobody condoned the killing of one civilian. No civilian should be targeted anywhere. Nobody should be targeted because of their religion, because of their color, because of their ethnicity, whatever. Let alone when we see atrocities, when people uh, use uh, horrible ways of, of killing. Um, and the fact that now what we have seen, and I would, as the Israelis go along, is just a civilian population who's paying the price. They're paying a heaviest price. And now we see more and more death. I mean, we're talking about they have to be careful about that land invasion. In one week, you have 4,000 dead. And there's 1,300 are missing because they're under the rubble. There's 1,300 children. So the images in the Arab world of these kids that you only pull in a limb and an arm and a leg is also displayed equally to the pictures that you have seen of Israeli children who have been killed. So, but the Arab world sees one side of the story. They see the media is siding with Israel. They see the West is siding with Israel. And they fear that this is going to happen. History is repeating itself. And therefore, I think the bigger picture is everybody's worried now about a bigger war. Hezbollah has shown restraint because it, it, the decision has to go back to Tehran, whether they want to involve in this war or not, as many experts in the region believe. If, if the Iranians decide they want to be part in this war, then Hezbollah will be involved. But till now, we lost, uh, by the way, a colleague who was shot by an Israeli, uh, uh, he was they were covering South Lebanon and they were attacked by Israeli gunfire. Um, mistakenly, whatever, they were, they were doing the job, but the, the, the fact is they were, he was killed uh, even before this war started. Assam Abdullah, who worked for Reuters. But regardless, I'm saying this, this, the situation is pretty horrific and ugly as it stands now. And we need just like some sanity and people who, um, you know, uh, warmongering or gun or just let's go and do this or do that. Every state has the right to protect its citizens. That's not disputed. That's fundamental. It's just how we do it and where we're going to go and what's the end game is the question. And we're uh, getting close to the end of time. We still have a lot of questions. Uh, let me one for you here. Uh, and again, if we could shorten our answers just a bit as we, we come to the final few minutes, let's pick up on this. Uh, is the government of Israel concerned that there are going to be much more images like those at the hospital uh, or elsewhere uh, of, of carnage and death if Israel seeks the destruction of Hamas, which is obviously, as you described, going to be a, a difficult operation and what are its expectations regarding what will be likely pressure from the region from the international community maybe even from the united states to call for a ceasefire before hamas's defeat is assured you already saw the u.n security council uh come together u.s um voted no regarding uh, a pause for humanitarian you know, corridors and support. How, how does Israel expect that to play? Uh, again, I have to say we're not naive and we know it will be long and ugly and difficult, but uh, there is no humanitarian uh, corridors when you deal with people that are not human. And uh, I hope that some time very soon we will start releasing the real videos for you to see 
who attacked whom, who slaughtered whom. I do, uh, we, we are not going to hit hospitals, we're not doing it. We will try to get within the, the, the limits of the international war, uh, law. Ben, just a quick introduction. The, the humanitarian corridors are for Palestinian civilians, not Hamas members, I would think. I mean, I think that's how it's understood. <laughs> This is the reason we, we agreed, and uh, what, what uh, Nadia said before, the 2,200 uh, tracks, etc. But I'm trying to emphasize that this war for Israel is existential. We did not imagine we will say this war because, you know, this is a superpower, a regional power, a nuclear in the foreign media. In the, but we see now it is existential. We will never be able to survive beside Hamas. So it's either they will walk alone or we will have to get in and do it. And right now, the sentiment in the cabinet, in the public, uh, everywhere, the uh, total consensus that we're going to do it. The cause is no, it doesn't matter. The, the, the cost doesn't matter. We're going to do it because this is our only alternative. I pray for a miracle. I uh, I know that when we will get in and we will have a lot of casualties in our side as well. We already did, but we will have the, and many many Israeli soldiers will be killed. Uh, and and but but the, I never experienced experienced such a sentiment in Israel in my whole life, and I, I'm not a young guy. That this is either we or them. When I'm talking about them not about the Palestinians, about Hamas. This is a Nazi organization. It is not an extension as extension of the Muslim Brotherhood, Nadia. It's a clear extension of ISIS. Politically. This is, I know, we know it. They, they, they belong to this movement. But what we saw now, this is an extension, extension of ISIS. They beheaded our babies. They burned bodies of babies. And they did it in such cruelty, such pure evil that we never saw everywhere. So this is what I mean when I say inhuman. So I know the pressure, the international pressure will, will mount and uh, we will have to, to make very, very, very tough decisions, but I don't see any Israeli leader stopping the whole, the whole thing be, before clear victory on Hamas because otherwise, it's the end of Israel, as simple as that. Nadia, I want to, uh, we've got to wrap up, but the, the last word on that, how do you think uh, the reaction would be in the interim uh, for Arab capitals, for the United States, based upon your reporting here, as this operation continues? While there's no love for Hamas in the region, and obviously the U.S. is used a similar language uh, that Israel uses to characterize Hamas, that seems to be genuine feeling. How do you see that playing out in the Middle East? I think as this, uh, unfortunately, this war is going to go forward. Uh, I think many people will see the Palestinian civilians paying the price. They see it as a collective punishment. Israel wanted to go after Hamas. Um, I will remind Ben, there was an article in Haaris actually, and quoting Netanyahu in 2009, sorry, 2019, and he's saying, basically, we have to bolster Hamas. We have to give them money because that is the only way to prevent the creation of a Palestinian state. So regardless, there's so many uh, 
analysis that we can go back to, it's not the time for it, obviously, of what happened and how Hamas were operating in Gaza over all, all these years and whether it was the interest of the national movement of the Palestinians or not. That's a different debate. But what we see now as the war, unfortunately, progressing, you're going to see a public sentiment that's completely and solidly in Arab capitals with the Palestinians because we will see them again paying the price in all the wars that Israel fought, whether it was since its creation till now. You will see more demonstrations. And actually, I've seen demonstrations in some Arab capitals like in Morocco, where they, now there's pressure to uh, cut uh, normalizations with Israel. Uh, so and, and in Egypt, too, I've seen demonstrations on a very high level with people who sympathize with the Palestinians. I don't think people make a difference between Israel go, going after a military target or after uh, Hamas or Islamic Jihad or Hezbollah or in the process killing hundreds of thousands of civilians and they're considering a collateral damage. The price is way too high. And I think in the long run, I don't know, I just hope that this war is not going to happen and we will find a solution. But I think the uh, call for a ceasefire is going to fall in on deaf ears. This administration as well, as you saw, leaked uh, memos at the State Department from day one asking their diplomats all over the region not to, call, to talk about de-escalation or ceasefire because already they uh, adopted the Israeli narrative that the only way we can uh, live next to uh, Hamas in Gaza is by destroying them completely. And the Americans are 100% with them, not just the administration, the Congress. But you will see also a change here among the younger generation who no longer just watch uh, the mainstream media. They have access to uh, all kinds of media. And I think the younger generation, especially among the Democrats and grassroots uh, organizations and uh, Jewish Americans who have seen some demonstrations yesterday on the, in the Capitol in front of the White House. Um, so I think the sentiment is going to be against Israel as we go along. And uh, the casualties is going to be mounting. And I just pray for peace. I myself, just uh, on a personal uh, uh, note, I'm a pacifist. I believe in nonviolence. I wish that everybody in the Middle East will uh, follow Mahatma Gandhi. It's the only way, really, to go forward. And I just pray for everybody, everybody on every side, to to stay safe and uh, to spare the civilians. We are out of time. We have so many more questions, but uh, and I feel like we could go uh, another 45 minutes at least. So I hope to have you both back. Obviously, this is a weekly program. We'll continue to to cover it. You both have conveyed uh, what is well known to those who follow you, your exceptional reporting and analysis and also the passion and emotion uh, that is being felt in Israel among Palestinians and throughout the region. Nadia Bobesi, El Arabiya, Washington Bureau Chief. Thank you, Ben Caspit, El Monitor, Israel columnist, who you can read on El Monitor twice a week. Uh, thank you as well. And uh, thanks to all our viewers and the fantastic questions that we have. And we'll be back next week with, with two more guests. Thank you very much. Thank you.